Well, it's a well-known passage, isn't it? Uh, If you've been to a wedding, you you might have heard this. um, This passage preached, and there's a, uh, you know, you see them on T-shirts. Love is patient. But the funny thing is it's talking about love and we think romantic love and and yet uh, what Paul meant by this passage is really anything but romantic love. Uh, He's right in the middle of talking about spiritual gifts and how a church uh, is to to work together and right here in the middle of it he says you can have all the spiritual gifts in the world but if you haven't got love everything's wasted. Everything's wasted. The Corinthian church, we've got to remember the Corinthian church were proud They weren't interested in each other. Uh, They thought their spiritual gifts made them the greatest church around. But Paul says, if there's not love, then you're pretty much nothing. So let's uh, let's take that on board because uh, there's so many things we can think are impressive about church. But uh, really, I I think this chapter is telling us that love is one of the most important ones. Uh, The Corinthian church had exciting church services, but they weren't loving uh, loveless church is empty church, according to Paul. Uh, do you see that from verse 1? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Uh, these are not just any old gifts he's talking about, he's focusing in on the gifts that were causing the problems in the Corinthian church, tongues and prophecy. Uh, They were the spectacular ones, the ones the Corinthians loved to brag about. They were the gifts that separated their church perhaps from the rest. But Paul says if they're not using those gifts out of love, uh, love for their brother or sister, motivated to encourage them, then they might as well be banging away on a cymbal or a gong, noisy, attention-grabbing, but meaningless. There'll be no benefit. It's like they're speaking another language. Or like that episode of The Simpsons where they're trying to train their dog. Anyone remember the dog's name? Santa's little helper. Uh, And they're talking to the dog and they're telling the dog what he needs to do and how he needs to behave. But then we get to hear what it all sounds like to the dog and it's just blah, 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 blah. And the dog's looking at the people. It's meaningless and it's the same for gifts that are used without love. If you do, the more you can say all the words in the world but they're meaningless. Even tongues and prophecy, the ones they were proud of. Paul lists a couple more things that become meaningless if you're not loving. Uh, Giving away all you own, verse 3. Surrendering your body to the flames. Uh, That means dying as a martyr. Uh, They're both pretty extreme things. The the ultimate in self-sacrifice, but even those things become worthless if you don't do them for the right reason or you do them for the wrong reason. Because, of course, there's all sorts of reasons why people use their gifts. Uh, Some people like to be seen. They like to be the centre of attention, uh, to be valued and appreciated. And so they sort of gravitate towards the, 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 the... the ministries where the people will see them and appreciate them, playing music and preaching and leading. But if your motive's wrong, if you're not doing it out of love for the people you're leading, then you're wasting your time. For other people, they're motivated by something internal. Uh, It gives them a sense of value uh, to be needed. They feel worthwhile and useful. But even that, it's not serving out of love, is it? 
Some people strive hard to be perfect, the high achievers. Uh, That's what makes them valuable. And so they want to do lots and lots and they want to do it really well. They want to serve people. Uh, But once again, they're not serving out of love. Uh, Some people are motivated by guilt. God can't possibly accept me for I am, uh, for, for the way I am or... Maybe I did something really bad last week. I better work really hard to help someone this week. Uh, And then I'll feel a little more comfortable about being accepted by God. But it doesn't work that way. Uh, They're not serving out of love either. Uh, Even self-sacrifice can be self-seeking, which is interesting, isn't it? Uh, Plenty of people give away money or help others because they think they'll get something out of it. I think... I suspect, I'm a little suspicious, lots of people in service organisations like Lions and Rotary do it uh, as much for the good business contacts as they do for the the help that they're going to provide people. Uh, Or or you can even be a martyr, can't you? You know the expression, the idiom. Uh, um, Plenty plenty of people are good at playing the martyr, but that's not doing it out of love, isn't it? No, no, it's all right. I don't mind washing up again for the fifth time this week. No, 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 you sit there with your feet up, it's all right. It's not doing it out of love, is it? Uh, That doesn't help anybody. A martyr mentality is really just selfishness. Uh, Paul's point is a mathematical equation. Uh, Six minus one equals zero. Six minus one equals zero. Six different Christian activities. If you do them all, but if you take away love, you're left with nothing. Six minus one equals zero. So examine yourself. Why do you do the things that you do in God's church? Uh, Is there love involved? There should be. And then just in case we're not sure what love looks like or how to define it, Paul does that next. And it's nothing like what we might imagine if we watched TV shows like The Bachelor or listened to songs on the radio. True love has nothing to do with soppy sentimentality has nothing to do with sexual attractiveness. Uh, In fact, love isn't about what you feel at all. Love is about what you choose. Uh, Those of of us who've been married for a long time will know that there are times when we don't feel like we love our spouse, uh, but we choose to do it. Uh, Love is an active, determined decision to do what's best for another person. That's love. And interestingly, as Paul describes it, he personifies love. He he gives love the characteristics of a person. He doesn't just say love will make you patient and kind, or he he says love is patient, love is kind. Uh, Like we might say, Cindy is kind, or Alex is patient, whatever that might be. Paul's saying, this is the type of person you need to become. You need to strive to become love. He's the person you want in your church. Make sure he's there every week. So let's spend a bit of time looking at that list, uh, what this, this person is like, Mr Love, and see how we measure up to him. And the thing that becomes obvious pretty quickly is Paul is not just pulling this list out of the air. Most of these characteristics are what the Corinthians haven't been doing. Did you notice that? Like patience. Love is patient. Back in chapter 11, the rich weren't patient. They were arriving at their church meeting early. They weren't waiting for the poor who were still at work. Uh, They got stuck into their 
David Jones picnic campers and their bottle of Grange Hermitage before everybody else got there. And then by the time the, the, the workers arrived, they were already drunk. That's not impatient. That's not patient at all. Or maybe he's thinking about uh, the poor uh, who were being snubbed. Uh, to be patient is to be long-suffering. Uh, the Greek word is literally long-burning, uh, like a great big hardwood log. To be patient is to have a regular, even, consistent temper that doesn't flare up like dry grass or newspaper. And so maybe Paul's message to the poor when he says love is patient is uh, just keep being patient with those people who are being rude to you. Let God change them. Don't take revenge yourself. Uh, To be long-suffering doesn't mean being everybody's doormat, though, letting people walk all over you. Rather, it's a conscious, active decision that you're going to wait for God's intervention. Love is patient. Uh, Love doesn't envy. Uh, That's a theme that we see in Corinthians as well. Back in chapter 3, Paul calls the Corinthians worldly and immature because they're jealous of each other. One says, I'm in Paul's group. And the other one says, well, well, I'm in Apollos's. So they're. Uh, So they're envious of each other. But Paul says, love doesn't envy. And I think that's a lesson for us in all sorts of different situations, whether we're at uni and someone's getting better marks than us or whether we're in a small church and someone else is in a big church. Uh, I know it's a bit of a temptation when a group of ministers get together. Uh, The first question, it might be, how's your family? But it's quite often, how's church? And it's tempting to sort of, you know, talk things up a bit or, you know, don't mention the things that aren't going quite so well and It almost becomes a bit of a competition at times between ministers uh, about how many new Christians they're going and how big the collection is. um, It can be easy to be envious, but love doesn't envy. The flip side of not envying someone with something going well, uh, Paul says love doesn't boast and it isn't proud when things are going well. So on the other side... uh, Pride is what produces boasting and uh, there was certainly plenty of pride in Corinth. Chapter 4, Paul tells them not to take pride in one man over another and he says, chapter 4 verse 6, for who makes you different to anyone else? God's the one that makes you different. What did you have that you didn't receive? In other words, God gave you what you've got and who you are and if you did receive it, Why do you boast as though you didn't? In other words, you're you're boasting about the wonderful gifts you've got, but they were given to you. It's ridiculous to boast for something that's been given to you. It's like that spoiled rich kid walking through the office because he's got a fancy job, but the problem is it's his dad's company and he didn't earn it and he didn't qualify for it, but he's boasting as if he's earned it when he's just been given it. Love doesn't do that. It's not proud... It doesn't boast. I wonder if there's a little bit of pride and boasting uh, for us in different areas of our life. Uh, Comparison is good at that, isn't it? We we pick things, we pick areas uh, where we're doing better than somebody else. Uh, It might be in sports, it might be in uh, university, maybe even in church. We look at other denominations and uh, we think, well, we've got it right and they're not quite so good and we're tempted to look down our noses a bit. But love isn't proud, it doesn't boast, 
One of the groups we're, we're just starting to get involved in in the inner west is to try and work out whether we can all combine uh, all the churches, all the ministers, and, and maybe plant a whole lot more churches. It's a bit of a pipe dream, but there's uh, cities around the world are starting to do it, and they've got dreams of planting 100 new churches in their city, and uh, they're halfway there. And so uh, one of the things we're, we're thinking of doing is uh, how can we celebrate when churches that are different to us are succeeding? It takes humility to be able to do that and not boasting and not comparing yourself. Because if we're going to meet, if we're going to reach all the people in the inner west, we need all sorts of churches. Presbyterian churches are not going to meet, uh, are not going to reach everybody in the inner west. Anglican churches are not going to reach everybody in the inner west. Uh, so we need to be uh, humble rather than proud and not boasting. Paul goes on. Love isn't rude. Uh, that word means dishonourable, unseemly, inconsiderate. Love doesn't say things without thinking. Uh, things that hurt or drag down or make fun of people. Or actions. Love doesn't butt in. Love doesn't presume and just take. Love has manners. Paul goes on, love isn't self-seeking. Love is more worried about the needs and the interests of others. That's certainly something the Corinthians weren't doing. Chapter 10, Paul rebukes them for eating meat sacrificed to idols without considering how other people felt about that. They were more interested in their stomachs than in the feelings or consciences of their brothers. Verse 24 of chapter 10, he says, Nobody should seek his own good but the good of others. You see, love seeks the other's good, even if you miss out. Love is letting someone else have seconds at church dinner instead of you. You'll have the opportunity to do that afterwards when we get some pizza, if you want to hang around. Love lets others go first. Uh, uh, Love is not easily angered. Love's not touchy with a short fuse. It's the opposite, really, of being patient, isn't it? Love isn't easily angered. Uh, you don't often see outbursts of temper at church. We're all pretty good at keeping things in control at church. But what about at home? Or the way you speak to your husband or your wife or your mum or your dad? Or what do you like in traffic or in queues or when you whack your thumb with a hammer? Love isn't easily angered. Now those things are not really that significant. We'll often move on fairly quickly. But what about if we've actually been wronged? Paul says that if love is wronged, it doesn't keep a record. We're pretty good at keeping those sorts of records, aren't we? We may not be much good at keeping our receipts, but when it comes to a hurtful word or a thoughtless action against us, we we don't forget. It's nice to be self-righteous, to feel hurt and harmed, to remember someone else's faults. And even if someone says sorry, it can still be hard to forget, even if we say we forgive. It's hard not to keep bringing it up. But that's not love. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in good. The measure of love is if you can be genuinely happy for someone who gets first while you get second. Love rejoices in good. It's one of the challenges as uh, this, these, this group of ministers are meeting together. 
Uh, can we get to the position where we rejoice when the competitor down the road, the church down the road, is doing really well, is doing better than us? We should be doing that, shouldn't we? Love that rejoices in the good. Uh, I wonder, I, I tend not to watch beauty contests, but sometimes they come up on the, on the news. Uh, and, you know, when the first place get a, gets announced, uh, you know, Miss World or something like that, and she screams and she waves her arms and, oh, it's wonderful. Uh, I, I don't know about you, but I have this morbid fascination. I don't look at the person who comes first. I, I look at the people on either side. Uh, and they've got these forced, fake grins. Get that woman away from me. I'm imagining they're thinking, if she comes anywhere near me, I'll scratch her eyes out. Oh, she's coming out. She wants to hug me. Get her away from me. And all the time they've got this this cheesy grin on. That's not love, is it? Love rejoices in good from other people. Uh, And it's genuine, even while it might break your heart. Uh, Maybe like someone who's trying to fall pregnant And the mums all around her are having babies and she's genuinely happy for them. That's love, even when it breaks her heart. Love rejoices in good news for others. Flip side of that, love doesn't rejoice in evil. That's tempting too, isn't it? To enjoy gossip, uh, share that prayer point. Someone's life is falling apart but it's just a piece of juicy information for you to pass on or when a competitor fails. Do we feel smug and superior? Because we would have done things much better than that. Well, that's not love. Love doesn't rejoice uh, when someone fails. doesn't rejoice in evil. Uh, Instead, love weeps with those who weep. Uh, We empathise, we sympathise. The reality is, people in church, we're connected to them. Back in chapter 12, Paul said that the Christian body, if one part suffers, every part suffers. If there's an infection in one part of the body, the whole body feels it. And it's like that with the church. If one part suffers, we're connected and so we should suffer as well. If someone's grieving, don't just ignore them because you don't know what to say. Just tell them that you're really sad for them. You don't have to fix it for them, just tell them that you're sad cry with them. Uh, People who are grieving tell me that it's genuinely comforting when someone cries, even if they don't say anything else. Uh, Love weeps with those who weep. Well, in verse 7, Paul sums up, uh, love isn't temporary or quick, it's not flash in a pan, there's a permanence and a stickability, a resilience about love. Love is there for the long haul. He says it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Another translation puts that like this, love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, love endures all things. I like that love puts up with everything. Uh, Love always believes the best. Love always hopes that the best will happen for somebody. Even when it looks like they're determined to make bad choice after bad choice, love keeps hoping for them. Love endures everything, endures the insults and continues to come back, continues to love even when the person stops being lovely. 
Well, it's that perspective of love lasting that Paul wants to remind the Corinthians of. They're so focused on the big gifts, the spectacular gifts of of knowledge and prophecy and speaking in tongues, uh, that they've forgotten about the, the only thing that won't finish, the thing that has no expiring date, and that's love. See there in verse 8? Love never fails. Where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. He's comparing then with when Jesus comes back. When Jesus comes back, we won't need prophecy or tongues or special knowledge anymore because there'll be perfection. All those things are just in part compared to the reality. Church, no matter how good it is, is just a part-time, amateur, temporary stopgap until eternity. We only get part of the picture of God and heaven now. We only get part of the experience of Jesus and part of the holiness and part of the joy and part of the intimacy and acceptance we'll know in our relationships now. Church now is a dim outline. It's like looking in one of those metal mirrors that they have in public toilets. You can sort of vaguely work out that there's, you know, you're there, but you certainly don't want to be applying your makeup or putting your contact lenses in by one of those metal mirrors, do you? Tongues and knowledge and prophecy give us glimpses but they're nothing compared to the real thing. It's like the CD they put on before a concert. Uh, it's all right. It gives you some idea about what's coming. It'll stop the crowd rioting until the band arrives. But compared to when the band strikes that first note, uh, that's the real thing. It's, you won't settle for the CD anymore, will you? It's just a shadow, a vague, faint reminder And Paul says that's what it's like for gifts in the church now compared to heaven. Verse 12, he says, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. That's a sobering thought, isn't it, for those of us who who think we know a fair bit about God or those of us perhaps who have spiritually impressive gifts like tongues or healing, that it's only partial. I think it was meant to be a sobering thought for the Corinthian church as well, who were, who were proud of their church, who felt like it was heaven on earth, but their church was really just a CD compared to the concert that was coming. Once you've heard the concert, you'll just throw the CD in the bin, it'll be obsolete. They thought their gifts made church like heaven. But that's not true at all. Uh, There won't be any of those gifts because there won't be any need for gifts. God gives us gifts now to show us what he's like, to give us a better knowledge of him. But in heaven we won't need them because we will know God. We will know the way things work. So what is it that makes church a little like heaven? Well, if it's not gifts, let me suggest it's love. Only love will continue in heaven. Our love for each other, our love for God. 
It's love between brothers and sisters now that can give us a glimpse, that can build a window that we look through to what eternity might be like, that will give us an ache for heaven. They're longing for perfect relationships. Church can give us a taste. Church at its best can give us an experience of that patient, other person-centred, genuine, intimate, inclusive love. It's a love that the world notices, according to Jesus, uh, that will point them towards him. In John 13, 34, Jesus says, a new command I give you, what does he say? Love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. And then he says, by this, by your love, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love shows the world that we belong to Jesus. Well, Paul finishes in verse 13. Gifts will pass away, but verse 13, now these three remain faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. The big three qualities that Christians must have, but it's love that's the greatest. Uh, Love, that conscious, determined, persevering decision to put another person first. It's what makes any of the gifts effective at all. And without it, we're wasting our time. May we be the sort of church that when someone asks, what's that church like? That they can actually answer without a shadow of a doubt, I don't know specifically what they're doing this year, but I do know one thing, they sure love each other. You can see it. May that be us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray uh, that we might know the love that you have for us in Jesus. Uh, that in gratitude uh, we may genuinely love each other. Help us to put each other first. Help us to be uh, patient. Help our love to be the sort of love that doesn't run out, uh, that is long-suffering. We pray all of these things, not for our own benefit, but that Jesus might be honoured and that uh, he would build his church through us. Amen.